Hello, I'm Robin Milton. I'm founder of Fairer Games, which is a games development company that I set up focused on telling the history and stories of women and marginalised genders. Exactly half of the GamesRadar.com's top 20 most iconic computer games characters of all time are depicted as white men. A further six are creatures that are identified as being male, including a certain blue hedgehog. Another is the humble Tetris block, to whom only the most off their trolley troll would attempt to assign a gender. That leaves just three characters. Chun-Li from Street Fighter, Elle from The Last of Us, and the inimitable Lara Croft as the best-known female protagonists in computer games, with only Chun-Li representing an ethnic minority. That level of diversity isn't ideal from a storytelling perspective, and when it comes to the UK gaming industry itself, I'm afraid we are in dire need of a power-up. Only around a quarter of the sector's workforce is female, and only one in ten are from an ethnic minority. This is robbing the gaming industry of perspectives, skills and ideas which would, as my guest today points out, make games better. However, the East of England is embedded in the DNA of computer games, with classic titles like Elite and Sensible World of Soccer coming from Cambridge, through to the much more recent hit Paper Trail from Norwich. And the region is again leading the way, with new approaches to improving the diversity of the sector, creating a richer and more vibrant environment for coders, designers and gamers. Leading that charge is Norwich-based gamer, designer and founder of Fairer Games, Robin Milton. Welcome, Robin, to Eastern Promise. I think it's really important and really really great to, to be able to talk to you today. In, in, we're sitting in Norwich in St Mary's house. Robin, tell us, what's the philosophy behind Fairer Games? You gave, you gave us sort of a little pen picture a little there. A little picture, yeah. What, what, so the origin and, the, and the, what brought you to, to, to doing that? Up until recently, I'd been doing some research work for a organisation called Women in Games, which are focused on helping support um, diversity and get more women into the games industry. And when I was doing that research, uh, there was a statistic from the, I believe it was the World Economic Forum, which do an annual report on the gender gap. And it said that Western Europe was around 57 years away from gender parity um, across things like access to healthcare, politics, um, education, economic independence. And uh, that's going to be quite a while after I've retired. And I realised that um, I just I just didn't want to kind of sit around and not do anything to try and shift that needle forward a little bit. I realised that I'm one person and I've just started a company, but that's really, that was the kind of inciting incident to make me want to try and do something because businesses which are founded to um, focus on improving diversity tend to have a knock-on effect. So the people they hire, even if they don't work there for a long time, will often go to other companies and in turn kind of spread that um, focus on diversity. So... That was the kind of starting point. You were initially a student at Newer, uh, yes, Norwich University of the Arts. What was, your, what was the experience of that like? Because I'm very, very fond of Newer and I'm very fond of experiences working with them. I didn't go there, but yeah, yeah. No, I, I love, I love the university. Um, I, I originally was looking at their fine art course 
because when I was at college, I was looking into becoming an art therapist, right. which is quite niche for a right. kind of 17-year-old to say, I'm going to do this. But I really, really, um, I love the idea of using creativity and working with people. And art therapy really kind of brings those two things together. Um, but I didn't really want to do a fine art degree. I was just told that that was the best route. And when I went to an open day, um, I saw on the kind of schedule that they had a games art session happening. And I just thought, oh, I'll go and see what that's about. I would played video games casually, but hadn't really thought about it as a career. Um, and then Mary Claire Eisenman, who was the head of games at the time, was doing this open day talk. And I remember she was showing these games that were meditative, that were kind of like purely artistic and kind of exploring concepts and they weren't anything like what I expected. And that was the thing that made me realise that games have a way of not making you choose your like particular kind of specialism. You can bring music to it, writing, arts science, history, mm -hmm. you know, you can bring all of these things to yeah. the medium of games. And once that kind of all clicked together, I was hooked. <laughs> I was like, no, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to study. So, um, yeah, so I did a three-year games art and design course there. Graduated 2014. Um, yeah, loved. I loved uh, studying a techie subject in an arts university because it it made me feel a lot more comfortable in that kind of subject area yeah. than if it was more computer science focused or just programming and development focused. It allowed for a lot more blending of that with creative subjects, which is what I'd come from anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I always really liked that about it. So you've, you've sort of founded Fairer Games to, to, to not just, I think, make games that fairer for, for, for women, as you say, women in underrepresented genres, but to sort of raise awareness and campaign for that more broadly in the industry. I mean, some of the things I've been looking into says, yes, the industry is changing, but it's at a, a, a pace that would be outrun by a glacier. And, yes. um, and you've also got the very toxic culture that has become evident, um, especially since the rise of social media. Now, against that rather grim backdrop um where's you know what how are you gonna bring fair games to market and and, and really help uh change the world for for, for uh, i feel always feel really uncomfortable saying these things as a man especially well, a white middle-aged man yeah, which is like you know i think it's, it's the it's, darth vader of your of uh <laughs> demographics really, yeah. yeah no i think i think it's really it's it's really important to have these kinds of conversations and i think you know, just people who are in demographics that do experience challenges, just them talking amongst themselves isn't necessarily going to bring about change. Um, I think I don't I don't want to say that I think I'm going to change the world because I think it's a really quick way to um, come a cropper with a new business is having these kind of big ideas and not focusing on the day to day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I hope that I can change a couple of people's worlds. You know, kind of flip it around the other way. So a big thing um, that I found was it took me way longer than um, I maybe thought it would to get the guts to actually start a business, particularly a games one. Um, there seems to be uh, a bit of a atmosphere of needing to prove yourself before you can then start a company and kind of um, start making your own projects. 
And like I acknowledge that people do need experience. Um, but I think I was kind of stuck in that cycle of always thinking that I wasn't quite ready and then would just never do it. So I want to see if there's ways that I can shorten that kind of journey for other people. So right. whether that's making it more um, transparent about the process, my process of starting a business, and I hope to be able to kind of share mistakes that I make or things that went really well that I had to be convinced to kind of do because I didn't think it would go well. You know, all this kind of um, like seeking not permission, but kind of seeking reassurance. I hope that there might be a way I can kind of speed that up for other people. So if there's other women or like people who aren't represented in the games industry thinking, oh, I can't start a business, you know, I'm not ready or I, I don't have enough game titles under my belt or enough years experience in the industry. I want to hopefully try and help them see that you 100% can. And even if the business fails, it's still like we're still moving that needle. Like, even if there's lots of people starting businesses that don't become the next Activision Blizzard, you're still kind of having an impact and that's still going to start shifting kind of the, not perspective, but the, the atmosphere, I think, yeah. around like making games. It's It shouldn't be this kind of um, specialist, only certain people can be successful at this thing. I want to try and encourage more people to do it. And also people from outside a games background, because yeah. they often make some of the most interesting games. It's when they're from a psychology background or a historian or a creative writer or a scientist. Like there's plenty of scientists that have had some fantastic kind of inputs into games. So right. that's I think that's the particular angle I want to go down, because there's a lot of routes that you can do. I'm a women in games ambassador, so I spend you know a good chunk of my time mentoring young people going into schools just trying to kind of be visible and accessible so if people are interested in working in games i can kind of help them do that um but with the company with fairer games my biggest kind of wish for it would be that it helps demystify and make the process more accessible for other people to start games companies yeah and you're doing all this whilst you're actually running a games company. Yes. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, that's what I mean about having to remember your day to day. Yeah. It's like, you know, I've still got to be working on a game whilst I'm also trying to kind of work out the trajectory of the business <laughs> and its mission and all of that. So it's, yeah, it's um, definitely a juggling act. Yes, I can imagine. So tell me tell me about the, the Fairy Games uh, library. What's, 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 uh, what titles have you put out there? So we, I started the company in May, so we haven't released any games yet. Right, okay, um, that was a bit... bit, bit uh, <laughs> uh, I was getting too far ahead of myself. No, there. well, I think you know, it really depends on the scale of the game you're making. You can release games quite quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually spent most of the summer um, applying for accelerator programs and government funding to try and kind of shore up the business start. Because um, sometimes people very easily we're all creative you get so focused on a particular project you forget yeah. about the business that needs yeah. to survive for that project to survive so um the first project that i'm working on um i can't talk about it too much but what i will say is um it's a narrative adventure game mm -hmm. and it's set at the time um it's the late 1500s and it's going to be based in norwich 
Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought I'd get very niche. Um, and you play as a um, an alewife or a brewster or a woman who is brewing. Yeah. And so we're focusing on that bit of history and exploring it um, through, yeah, narrative adventure. Yeah, because they, they made a game, didn't they, of um, Ken Follett's Pillars of the Earth. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, um, it's one of those ones that... I, I, I cop for free off the Epics game store because they do oh, free excellent. games every so often. So uh, cop for, cop, got that one for free and I haven't, I haven't played it yet. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, that's... that's, that's uh, there's so many, especially if, like me, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s where, where you know, video games started off as, you know, b- b- with Pong, you know, the, 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 the range is, is just bewildering now. So I remember when we first talked, we talked about uh, the difference between games featuring female characters and games created by women mm. because, and a lot of the research um, that I've, I've read has, has gone into this at length, a lot of the f- female characters in games are either, if it's a protagonist, then they're hypersexualized, And if they're not, if they're just a, a, you know, a, an NPC, then they are pretty pathetic and they don't, you know, oh, hail, hail, kind of a thing. Um, so what what would you say is is that difference between uh, you know that, that well apart from it sounds blatantly obvious now I say it out loud but what's the difference really I suppose between those those two things the the the, the female characters and the the games designed characters that are designed by women yeah yeah that was that was, that was as Bill Bailey says that was a uh, long walk down a windy beach to a cafe that was uh, hopefully not closed so <laughs> yeah no I th- I I know where you're coming from I think. It's one of those things where I guess the reason why we were talking about representation of women and, you know, it's it's not just about having women in games content. It's how they're portrayed, which is going to have the impact because of women have been in video games. Mm-hmm. since you know, the first Lara Croft game and yes. others before that. Um, I think the big difference is it you see it in um, writing, in film, in all kinds of media. You need um, people in the room that represent the characters, stories or settings that you are creating around. You need people in that room that are part of that for it to be authentic, for it to be um, respectful, for it to be, um, yeah, a a part of, I guess, like a realistic uh, representation of that thing. So I think a big... um, this sounds very dramatic. A big disappointment for me is like often the writing of women um, mm-hmm. in media. It just tends to be very cliche. There's not there's not kind of multifaceted characters. It's sort of like you fit into this functional box, and that's not to say that that doesn't affect um, like other genders and men. Like it very much does. It's just mm. I think having um, women in the creation process just ultimately changes the the feel and the impact of the the game or like the media that you're creating but it's hard to kind of scientifically mm. be like no, it's funny there cause... is a 30% uptick in you know xyz i think what i find funny is is i i i absolutely get what you're saying a lot of the times i felt like when i've been involved in a creative team and it's almost exclusively been working predominantly with women, that the end product was far more well-rounded than, than perhaps it otherwise could have been. 
and I don't I don't know why that is. Um, but but there we go. Yeah, I've always found working working in a in a predominantly female team quite a rewarding experience. Well, I think when you're in a creative capacity, having people who are going to have a different perspective on what you're doing or disagree with your perspective on what you're doing is really good for the creative product. If you have a bunch of people that are just saying, yes, I agree yes, with boss. everything, mm -hmm. the, the content's not going to be that good. And yeah. it's the same with games. Like, I like working with people that, are, that challenge me if I'm coming up with something because it through the process of being challenged on it you end up with something better at the end of it because if someone just said yeah that sounds great everything's great you're going to end up doing things that you probably shouldn't because no one challenged you on it and i think that's you can see that a lot in content so if you're working with teams of people that you know don't look like you don't sound like you don't have the same background as you you're going to come at the same problem in different ways and what you create is going to be more rounded because you can't kind of you can't think as someone else. You can only think as yourself. So it's kind of if if you don't bring people in that are different, it's you just end up with confirmation bias, yes. and it can be yeah. Um, to I, I think I know the answer to this already, but I'll ask you. I'll ask you anyway. Um, to what extent does the gaming industry understand its uh, women, its female customers? <laughs> I think it's it's a really tricky one. Um, I think something that we were talking about is that you can't accurately measure um, the success of a game with its particular players if it was only designed for like... So, for example, I'm going to have to word salad it a little bit because it's a big concept. <laughs> but like, if we look at like first-person shooter games, a lot mm -hmm. of people would traditionally say that that's not aimed at women. See, we're talking here like your Doom. Yeah, Call um, of Duty, yeah. Medal mm -hmm. of Honor, all the things. Um, however, there is a large chunk of women that enjoy and regularly play them, compete in those game genres at an international level. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's no... You can't ever do a kind of like a classic segmentation of it. But I think what the reason why I feel like there's a great market opportunity for fairer games is that, you know, we're designing games which are for people who are interested in history, in narrative, in storytelling. And that's not going to be for everyone. But I think that that kind of um, group of players maybe haven't been served as much as the others. Um, and me personally, I know how much um, I really buy into a franchise if I really yeah. like it and spend a lot of money. Yes. Um, <laughs> probably more than I should. Um, and I think that you know, you're you're really missing out on you know some some great financial rewards mm. for not um, seeking to meet those kind of market needs. I think my my own person, my Steam account, is groaning under the weight of Lego games. Nice. <laughs> so I've got practically all of them now, which are just waiting for the sale. Then I, I leap. And I mean, it's interesting. I yeah. got a list talking while we're on the subject of titles. Mm -hmm. uh, this is from uh, I, I I confess I I don't know the name uh, Kingwin. Um, whatever that, whoever they are, but um, it's a gaming marketplace and it revealed which games were more popular amongst women in 2020. Now, I'm going to name these and you can tell me if you've played okay. them or not. And I'll, I know. Sims 4. Oh, yeah, I play that a lot. Top of the shop. Yeah. Uh, Minecraft is second. I have played that. I do enjoy it. My nephews always say, have you played Minecraft? And I'm like, no, no, I don't know. It's, 
it's taken me a long time to play Minecraft. I've only really started playing it recently. Really? Which, considering it came out like over ten years ago. Yeah, we, now. Won't, we, won't, we don't need to date <laughs> these things. Um, <laughs> Rust. That's that's a new one on me. Okay. No. So I haven't played Rust. Um, it's quite a um, ruthless. Uh, kind of survival game. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, I think, and I might get this wrong, but some of my students used to play it a lot, and I think it kind of resets each time. So when you play it, you kind of get thrown in and you get randomised mm -hmm. equipment and things. So you yeah. you kind of have to, yeah, scrap it out. But I might be wrong. Another Just one Another one here that's <laughs> familiar to all my, to, to my nephews, uh, Fortnite. Okay, no, I haven't played Fortnite. Neither have I. Uh, I, I'm, 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 I don't know about you, but I'm not huge on multiplayer games. I yeah, think I, I, you know. I enjoy... Well, I used to enjoy multiplayer games. I used to play a lot of Call of Duty, actually. Um, but there just hasn't been quite anything that's met that need for me anymore. Like, um, I really like small maps in first-person shooters because it's really scrappy and it's like really chaotic. You don't have to like spend ages searching for them. Yeah, like I don't like it where you've got a massive map and someone can snipe you from a million miles away and then you've yes. got to try and find them. Like for me, like I appreciate that there's people that really enjoy that, but for me, I'm not very good at sniping or anything like that. So for me, I'm just like, yep, grenades, stabbing, just anything in there. And the small maps really do that well, but not a lot of games have gone that way in recent years. So I'm... Um, yeah. Yeah. Sniping. It's much more fun in real life, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Call of Duty. No, I, I, I say I, I don't like the the whole point of me coming up to my to my office to play a computer game is to be by myself. Why would I want to do it with loads of other people? You yeah. know, um, who can expose how rubbish I am? Especially. Uh, you see, know. I'm very comfortable with how rubbish I am. So ah, that's that's where I'm going that's wrong. The I'm not. Yeah. Um, Call of Duty is rounding out the top five. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Call of Duty, followed by Ark. Okay. Yep. I haven't played right. it. Lego Star Wars? I haven't played Lego Star oh. Wars. I've played the other Lego games. Oh, you're missing I, something. I have to say something very controversial now. What's that? I'm, I'm not a fan of Star Wars. Okay, we'll cut that. We'll definitely cut that out. We'll, <laughs> that, we'll, I, I, don't, I don't want to, you know, as, as ga gaming, uh, ga gaming culture being what it is, I think we should I know, probably it's, it's like we say I out. love film and yet don't like The Godfather or whatever, which I, I do like The Godfather, but it, no, I feel I like really it's a similar them. thing. It's yeah. like... The no, Star it's like, Wars of, yeah. we've, 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 I think we can't... I'm Star uh, Trek, you see. Okay, so, and the last three are Planet Zoo. Oh, yeah, I've played that a lot, mm -hmm. actually. I've now spent this, a this, lot of money on that game. This one sounds like it, it might be up your street. Anno 1800. So, I haven't played it, but I've played some of the other Anno ah, games. Ah, right, I, I, so I, I don't... And Skyrim. One. Yeah, I've played Skyrim. Now, Skyrim's very interesting because that game is old, mm -hmm. and yet it's still incredibly popular. That's just that's interesting. I mean, what is it? I mean, that makes a game popular because I mean, I'm waiting with bated breath for the next Monkey Island game. <laughs> secret. I, I, that I, was that was the first I game that I really got into the characters bought for. Bought the secret. The curse. Is it because Secret of Monkey Island Two: LeChuck's Revenge? Yeah. I saved up my money and went to my uh, to Soft Spot, the local computer shop, and I, it was discs. It was. <laughs> What, what size were they? Three quarter inch discs or something? Yeah. <laughs> and with the coding wheel. That that ages me. That <laughs> dates me. Um, I hope for the Amiga as well. So mm. That dates me even more. But, yeah, no, um, I used to sit watching my brother playing it, being the annoying one, saying, oh, you missed something. <laughs> oh, no, go back. There was a thing there. So, yeah. I, yeah, Guybrush Threepwood, isn't it? Yes, Guybrush Threepwood. He the, was the my pirate idol as a kid. <laughs> the, the third one. 
don't know if you've ever played the third one. No. Uh, I'm recording this, so I can't say how I'll lend it to you. <laughs> okay. But uh, it, if you, if it's because that, that is on the one hand, it's quite old. So I, I recommend you and anyone listening to look it up because it is by far the until they sort of, they've recently remastered the originals, but it's the best of the series. The artwork is just on the spot because they moved to 3D, which doesn't really work as well as they think they think it does. It, <laughs> but this is still like very sort of cartoony 2D, yeah. um, and that was the first one that had vo voiceover. This yeah. is we've completely geeked. Throw the interview out the window. The original talk about question this. was like, what makes a game? I guess. Um, like sustain after many years, wasn't it? It's kind of like, yeah, why, well, why is Skyrim still I'm glad really you know popular. what I'm doing, because I've got a clue. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you talk about that, how old Skyrim was, and that paused me, we diverted slightly, you know, yeah. I saw a tangent and I was off. Um, I think the big thing is, personally, I think it's storytelling. Oh. Um, you can have very basic gameplay um, experience, but if the storytelling's really good, I think that's the thing that sticks around because that's the thing that you talk to your friends about. You talk about like moments in a game or particular in like uh, RPG games, which Skyrim is. Um, you might have a slightly different experience of the same bit of story because you, you know, your character makes different dialogue choices or has made different decisions in the game. Mm -hmm. And you, you can kind of share those stories. And I feel like that's is the thing that sustains it a little bit. I'm like, I'm no kind of particular expert knowledge on it, but I think storytelling is, that's the thing that makes it timeless. Like Guybrush yes. <laughs> is so, a ridiculously just odd character, really well written. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that has kind of made him quite timeless, even though, yeah, the original games came out so long ago younger generations still know of them because people talk about the stories and the characters and I think and it's it's he's I hesitate to use the word every man but he's sort of someone who's determined to to pursue a particular career and this may be a lesson for me I don't know despite the, you know the obvious lack of any aptitudes to succeed yeah. in, his, in his chosen path but he's not deterred it says here um 66 percent of female gamers are between 18 to 34 uh, most female users are under the age of 35, uh, but we've got a, a, a whopping 11% over 55. So what do you think that might tell us about you know, the gaming market? You know, there's yeah. a, a sizable, like we're talking about over 100,000 of this, this marketplace's customers are women over the age of 50. Yeah. So I think not many people talk about it that much, but... Um women in that kind of age bracket are spending quite a lot of money on games. It tends to be, and there again, these are generalizations, but it tends to be mobile games, often they're casual games, and a big factor often is social elements to yeah. it. And what there has been a kind of, I think, almost like a cross-pollination where there was a lot of women who, for the first time, really got into games when um, Facebook games became a thing and it was quite social and you would kind of trade items with your friends on Facebook mm -hmm. and you'd all play together and all those annoying notifications we all used to get. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, the Farmville kind of boom, really, there's like so many things that are kind of off-shooted, sh off off-shot from that. Write that know. down. That yeah. Like a word. <laughs> um, yeah. So then you have games like Candy Crush, yeah. which was universally um, kind of played. Um, I deliberately didn't because I was doing my university degree at the time, and I thought 
I might fail <laughs> if I start playing this. There's been a few games that I've done that with. Minecraft was another one of them where I yeah. go, I would definitely put thousands of hours into this, so I'm just going to leave it, not touch it. Um, and I think those sorts of games almost were an entry point for a lot of people that hadn't really found games that fit their interests or that they enjoyed playing. And they have now gone on to continue playing games and like iPad and mobile games um, are much more common now because smartphones are really prevalent. Like a lot of people have them. Whereas it used to be people that were maybe younger or more tech focused that had a smartphone. Now everyone has one. Mm -hmm. um, iPhones in particular, they're really accessible. Um, Apple promotes a lot of the games on their arcades and stuff. And I think people maybe like unless you're really looking at the games industry regularly like I am you might not realize that yeah. that's actually quite a sizable market of people that are regularly playing games like when i used to teach about um like player types a lot of people would say oh um like casual gamers versus hardcore gamers have you heard those terms yeah yeah so the, the issue with that is a lot of people think, oh, okay, if you're a hardcore gamer, you're playing something like World of Warcraft 12 hours a day, whichever. But it's not so much about the genre of the game. You could be playing Candy Crush eight hours a day every day, and that would make you a hardcore gamer. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like even though that game scene is being casual, you can play it it's in a very yeah. non-casual way, <laughs> in a very kind of you know intense way. And I think, you know, that is happening more often. Yeah, it's time invested rather than yeah. you know the the, the, the content. So um, one interesting thing I looked up was that it's it's almost as much a, a, the difference between you know between genre. Uh, gen start that again. I'm going to cut that bit out <laughs> definitely. There is obviously differences between genders uh, in terms of. Um, the kind of games they prefer and why they play them. But one of the interesting things I, I uncovered, 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 um, was the extent to which there's also differences between cultures and nationalities and how uh, French women, uh, for example, play for, uh, I don't know, it, it's achievement, uh, whereas women in Asia um, annoyingly, they, they see to divide, you know, get, get it down to France, but we'll just call it Asia. Mm -hmm. um, they, um, th they apparently predominantly do it for social reasons and so on and so on. And there's, you know, an American women do it for, you know, for achievement and basically showing their husbands up and um, that kind of thing, etc., etc. And to what extent, first, first, first of all, I should ask you, what do you think... Why do you think British women or East Anglian women or, or whatever, you know, however you'd like to break it down, uh, what do you think they play for? And do you think that those those things are true? Are they helpful or, or are they just sort of another reason, you know, another that someone's found a reason to write an article with, you know? Um... I'm going to answer in probably a really annoying way, oh, cool. which is I'll... by not answering. But there is a reason for that. The The whole kind of the preamble there is a really great example of how data on players and particularly segmented data, which looks at gender based demographics when they're playing video games, is just so patchy. Um, it makes it really hard to be able to draw any real conclusions about how people are playing, why, how much, how long, how much they're spending, because often... To give an example, like when um, 
you might find like studies on like the UK games industry. Um, they might tell you like the gender split. Um, so the gender kind of identities of the people working in the industry, but they might not show that segmented against the kind of the genres of games that they're working on, which yeah. would be a useful thing. <laughs> You're all right. <laughs> I, do you know what? I've had far worse interrupts an interview, so you're I not, really wouldn't worry. You're not a drunk, swearing person. And I, you know, mind. you're not announcing that the train's about to arrive in Wyndham, yeah. which, which was louder than I thought. If you do yeah. need that, let me know. <laughs> the time sponsored by Acuras. Is uh, yeah. What was I saying? Yes. So the the kind of the issue that I have with the data is that you just can't you can't cross reference mm. between it to get a real picture yeah. of who these players are. Um, when I was doing the research with women in games, we really struggled to find information on the amount of women that were running games businesses. We knew how many women that, that were working. We knew how many games businesses there were. But trying to cross-reference those two so you could really um, talk about it in an informed way was a real struggle. And the other part of it is... Um, a lot of large kind of data-based um, companies, so research organisations, still only, um, when they're asking about people's gender, they still only give them two binary options, which there again means that you're not really representing who the people are that are playing the games. Mm -hmm. And it's that's the biggest challenge for me when trying to have these kinds of conversations is that like I don't have data to draw on to be able to share with people because it's just not quite there yet. There isn't um, easy stats for me to draw from. The easiest one I can kind of pull is from Newzu, which is looking at um, gender split of players globally, which is like, I think, 46% of uh, players globally. Or game enthusiasts globally are women. So like people who play games or are really interested in games. Yeah. But there again, it's like you don't know where they are based on continent or their intentions for playing. But yeah, I would say Newzoo actually have got some nice player profiles, um, which are focused on play styles, um, not demographics. But they have things like, um, I think one's called like the Community Gamer. And it's someone who plays games, but they actually spend a, a bigger chunk of their time in communities around gaming. So they might be running a Discord server or being involved in like Reddit threads and things. And it's, mm -hmm. I think Newsy have done a bit more kind of work trying to look at like patterns of behavior and how you can target your games at them, where there's a lot of other research you find is just this kind of like bizarre, like, you know, gamer mums but they don't really tell you about like what's going on there or like how much money they're spending or how yeah. you could add, you know what uh, would you say is the most prevalent trope that you've come across in terms of um you know misrepresentation i suppose you'd call it oh god there's too many um, I was going to say, what's, think, your, what's, your, uh, what's your, uh, bet noir, your, I was going to say favourite, but least favourite, I suppose, yeah. your most hated? Um... It's funny, actually, like, I think in terms of, like, female characters in, in games, I always get really disappointed where often you'll have um, a character that's the one that's spoiling the fun. 
right. don't know. It, maybe it's too vague a description, but it's like um, sometimes it's like a mum character. Sometimes it's like a member of a team or something. But often it is a woman being like, no, that's too risky or like, oh, we shouldn't be doing that or, you know, is very like risk averse or whichever. And as much as like those styles of characters have a place, I just it that's the one that usually really kind of gets to me because I don't want women in game content to be seen as like the ones that are like, yeah, putting a dampener on the fun. Like there's plenty of, you know, hypersexualized um, or like hyper aggressive character tropes, which is just weird. Um, but yeah, it's the one, it's the slightly more subtle one, which is the character that's kind of like, yeah, just slightly putting a dampener on everything. Yeah. Or trying to like pull people back from doing something reckless or fun. <laughs> <laughs> which I, yeah, that's the where I'm like, oh, come on. It was going really well. And then now, yeah, now it's like, it's the girl in the team, which is the one that's saying that we shouldn't do something or whatever. Yeah. So it all goes a bit swallows and Amazons and, you know, you, oh, oh. sorry, I should do. Try not to break your light. You're very expensive looking. <laughs> um, so you, what is the Norwich gaming space like in terms of starting a business in the in the gaming sphere? You Obviously, you, you went to newer. Um, what's that ecosystem like? So there is Norfolk Game Developers, which mm -hmm. is a local meetup group. I help organise that. Um, we meet once a month and we alternate between doing uh, show and tells and socials. And the show and tells are basically an opportunity for people to bring anything they've been tinkering with, working on game builds, board games, tabletops, card games, whatever. Uh, we had a couple of people bring some like escape room designed physical puzzles, which were oh, really right. cool. Um, and we just run that as a way to help connect people and give people kind of space where they can yeah, showcase what they're doing, get some feedback. Um, and then the socials are just more of a kind of I guess like a slightly less pressure environment if you don't necessarily want to only go to events where like you mm -hmm. have to show something or be supportive of someone showing something. Like if you just want to chat to people about games that you love, the socials are there for that. Um, I think UEA has a games society at the uni and then obviously Norwich University Arts have got their games courses and the talent coming out of the university is is incredibly high. The course is globally like recognized yeah. as being one of the best games art courses in the world um but the the kind of gap that i've been talking about for a long time and i guess i'm trying to fill now by starting my own business is there aren't many opportunities for people who are talented graduating with all the skills to get their first kind of rung on the ladder in terms of their games careers in norfolk um there are some there's like there's a lot of independent developers a lot of them are one to five person teams and that really limits their ability to take on a graduate and be able yeah. to kind of take them under their wing and um there aren't any kind of big games companies that could facilitate having like a graduate program or whichever and that often results in people moving away to be able to get their kind of foothold in their careers. So where, where, where's lucky that, if they come back? <laughs> where does that go to? Where do they go to? Do you think? Um, Cambridge is a big draw because they've got the science park there. There's a number of big games companies there. Um, London is another one. 
and then Manchester um, and Birmingham as well also have like really thriving hubs. Um, one of the organisers of Norfolk Game Developers moved to Brighton for work, and another one moved to Manchester right. for their careers. So. Mm. Well, I suppose in, at least in Cambridge it stays in the region, but uh, you know we, yeah. we, it's the, dr the 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 drain, and that's that that is a challenge. Um, yeah, and when you're first starting out, I mean, I know I'm only talking about people, maybe like young people, and there are people who maybe want to transfer from other careers. Um, but when you're first starting out, you don't have loads of money to be spending on train mm -hmm. fare to commute to London or or um, Cambridge or whatnot. So that's I think. If we can plug that gap a little bit, you would very quickly see a kind of talent pipeline form and larger games companies and it could very quickly come and come on. Because so. it's funny, we were talking on the train journey we did the other day about the next step. There's an hourly service on the train to Cambridge would be a half hourly service. And when you do that, that opens up all kinds of all kinds of possibilities. And it's so easy to get backwards and forwards. Um, so hopefully that that'd be something that we can sort of utilised to our advantage but is there a danger in do you think I want to I use the word loosely allies trying to sort of and this is something that worries me impose what we think are the right thing so is there a danger of like saying you must want to talk about these dreadful issues rather than to actually I just want to really do a really good game yeah I think that's always been a balance that I've um I've had in in any interviews that I've done actually um yeah I, I did have an interview I think it was like a women's uh national women's day interview and they kind of said like oh what's the hardest thing about being a woman in tech and I said this question yes which is probably a bit cheeky of me but um yeah there's a danger to um literally just um reducing a professional down to their demographic than, um, and, and then that being the only thing that they're able to have a voice on, that in itself is its own kind of limiting factor. Yeah. And I think if you really want to bring more people onto the like project or like behind the microphone, as you say, it's, it, it's one of those things, it has to be a, a multi-step process. It has to be, um, there has to be a lot more work done than I think a lot of people initially think like getting someone involved who's not from the same background as you is great, but making sure that that's being done in a way that's supportive and um, empowering of that person takes yeah. a lot more nuance and a lot more kind of like, yeah, introspection and working out, yeah, how it kind of can work. Um, I think it's that in a longer term sense, you know, because it's very... Um, like I used to do events management and it's very easy to kind of look at a lineup of speakers and say, oh, that's diverse, that isn't diverse. But we had an issue where um, with one of the events that I was involved with, the only diverse um, panel of speakers was on a panel about diversity. <laughs> and it was like, well, yes, it is going to be a diverse panel of speakers talking about diversity, but there should be diversity in all of the topics that are being discussed. Yeah. And I think what you're kind of saying there is like that it happens a lot at the moment where exactly. people are like that... women in tech and it's yes. like, cool. And like, I'm a big, you know, I'm an ambassador for women in games. And a lot of people say like, oh, shouldn't it be like everyone in games or whatever? But I think it's a balance and it's it's the actions that you're taking. And it's, you know, I very much feel that 
obviously my company is looking at diversity specifically so I'm more able and more comfortable to talk about that yeah. topic in interviews because it's enmeshed with what I'm doing but I think like previously I've had a lot of moments where like I was doing an interview for my team as a team lead in a games uh, jam so it's like a, you make a game as part of a competition um, and I was the only um, like woman lead and I was the only one that got asked so what's it like being the only girl on your team what's it like being blah 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 and I was quite young at the time so I didn't really push back on it but there was a little part of me that was just really sad because <laughs> it, it in that moment you go from being like yeah I'm the team lead to being like oh I'm the girl yeah. you know it's like 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 that's erase that part and just slap this label on you and then yeah. like just tell us about that thing is it? It's almost like overcompensation in some regards, isn't it? It's weird. I think sometimes you're right. Like people with good intentions can want to give people the opportunity to speak on that matter, but sometimes in doing that, you're you're limiting them being able to talk about anything else. Yeah. Like for me, like games and representation is such a kind of thing that I'm passionate about. Anyway, I see games as like the vehicle to um, trying to improve kind of representation and diversity in tech but you know for a lot of women who are working in the industry they just love what they do they love being a data analyst they love being a level designer and it's you know i think if you put yourself forward as being happy to talk about that as like an ambassador like i have that's fair but it's when people that are literally just about going about their day-to-day -day lives and they're like, become a spokesperson for all women. Yes. And it's like, yeah. yeah, that's... That must be... That must... <laughs> and that happens a lot. I can, I can... Have you been asked to be a spokesperson for all male podcasters? If, if the call the comes, world? I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to <laughs> if answer. The, if but the role is paid. No, it's not likely. It's not likely. Um, yeah. And it is... I'm, I'm one of these really irritating people who desperately wants to do the right thing no idea how to go about it so just yeah. to go oh god but um, i don't think anyone knows the right way to go about it i don't no. think anyone can like always do the right thing the big thing is like knowing what you don't know and acknowledging yeah. what you don't know and i've really had to learn that because i'm white and i was teaching games development and i have to constantly be aware of the fact that a lot of the teaching content um is and i have to be careful when i mention about that but like a lot of it is written by people who are white who have particular backgrounds mm -hmm. and a lot of academia traditionally it's like you have to remember that there will have been a filter put on this information that you might not even be aware of and it's it's knowing it's yeah absolutely. acknowledging that there's flaws it's absolutely. acknowledging that like yes i am not able to fully understand the lived experience of someone else but there's so many people that are very uncomfortable with that. They want to feel like they have an authority on things that they've not been personally involved with. And people don't want to kind of relinquish that feeling of like, I don't know, knowledge. <laughs> so yeah, I guess really to hopefully it. help you like on that kind of, I want to do the right thing, but I don't know how is the first thing is- Acknowledge your utter cluelessness. Yeah, and listen. Yeah, mm. listening. Like some of the best podcasters that I, I listen to, they don't get it right. But when people write in and say, hey, like I, you know, I found the terms that you used or the language that you used really uncomfortable or, you know, we don't use that term anymore. It's better to phrase it in this way. 
they listen. They say, yeah, we've had this letter come in. We weren't aware of this. We thank you for helping us on this journey. Yeah. But that then leads to another topic of making sure that you're being proactive about this. Um, and it's there again, I'm going to asterisk this with, you know, I can only speak on this in a really limited way. But when um, the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, all of a sudden there was a lot of well-meaning white people that were asking people of colour to help them realise what they didn't know. And it's like, and it's not their responsibility to do no. that. <laughs> you know, it really it's really, really not. And I feel like that has happened in a lot of other ways. Um, and I guess to bring it back to the gender thing, that happens a lot where people are like putting the pressure on women to be spokespeople for all women when they are working in these male-dominated industries. Mm. And it's like, that's a lot of pressure to put on someone that yeah. maybe just likes being a data analyst or a programmer. I'm going to feel really bad about asking you the next question, <laughs> which is going to be, um, how quickly, uh, if, if there is proper... <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating to use the word uh, balance in games teams. Mm. And you know, uh, there's people are hired for the right reasons. Um, how quickly do you think we'll see the content of games change to reflect that? That because I don't know if that's a question that could be answered because I think there's a lot of challenges around like the content of games because I guess we were talking about confirmation bias before. It's like popular games get more. Uh, marketing so more people see it so more people buy it so mm -hmm. it's popular and it's like games that are produced by these large conglomerate companies yeah. will have larger marketing budgets does that mean that if it was on the same budget as a game that was of a different genre it would be as successful you know it's it's hard to be able to truly know what's affecting someone's buying or what's affecting what's in the game because you look at something like Halo and there are things that made it really successful, but if you just keep recycling the same stuff, it's like, is that new game any better than the original or are people just buying it because they liked the original? Yeah. Does that make sense? I no, feel it absolutely like that was makes a bit sense. rambly. No, it makes perfect it's... sense because, you know, I wasn't, for example, a huge fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean films, but I still bought the Lego Pirates of the Caribbean game. <laughs> Okay, um, yeah. You know, um... well, I guess it's also, um, I guess to try and answer the question a bit better. Um, so Xbox have got Game Pass. Yeah, PlayStation got... have got their own version of Game Pass as well. Um, I have I have both, actually, because it's research purposes, you see. I'm allowed to have both. Damn it. But I, I feel I've heard. Yeah, you need to become a yeah. games journalist and then you, you'll be able you to go. do it. But um, I, I play my Xbox more um, and Game Pass has, I feel, allowed people to graze on games in a way that they haven't previously. Because there's so many games that I've played, even if it was just for like an hour or so, just to see what it was like on Game Pass, that I might I might never have purchased because it was from a company that I'd not heard of or it was like the screenshots looked... I couldn't really tell what the game was like. And I feel like Game Pass and those kinds of subscription models potentially you're going to have just as much of a change on the kinds of game content that we see as representation in making them. It's really tough to be able to say 
what an effect having more diverse teams will have. I would really like to hope that it might have a positive effect on the community around games as well, which we haven't really talked about that much, but like the game's audience is a really yeah, I was going to tumultuous about... one. <laughs> yeah. Is the word I would because, use. Because, I mean, there are some things that become a scandal and, and, and I read them about things like Gamergate and I still can't for the life of me explain what the hell that was about. Um, but why? I mean, every invested fandom can get toxic. I mean, having just watched the She-Hulk finale, I, I'm imagining there's some people who are going to get very... And to, to, for me, for my money, it it's that because people, when they buy into something like a franchise, they get that sense of ownership. Hmm. Uh, and it's their story that's being, you know, they're the only person in the world who's watching this. And when it goes in a direction that perhaps they didn't expect or don't particularly care for, they can't say, oh, well, you know, let's see how this develops. I might, it might be better or, 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 or just leave it and go on to something else hmm. and maybe come back another day. Why do you, I mean, is, is that it? Is it that sense of investment that, I mean, I've never, does it affect, I mean, this is another terribly horrible gendered question, but, but is that a male thing? I don't, I really don't know. I don't think so. Good. Um, because like, you could look at literally any activity in the world and you'll find a fandom for it, like mm. regardless of gender. Like there are people who compete internationally at crochet. Right. Yeah. So I think it's it's I don't I don't think it's tied to it. I think some of the ingredients to the challenges that we've got in the games community now stem back to um you know, the eighties where tech and gaming was very male-dominated at the time, and it was also very niche. It was one of those hobbies that, like, a few people shared, and when they found someone else that was really into it too, they got really excited, and it created this kind of sense of community. Um, and there seems to be some kind of... There's, uh, people feel like as the gaming community becomes more diverse... Um, something is lost from the experience of being a gamer. I obviously don't feel like that, and I don't think everyone feels like that, but that's definitely like a theme to it. Um, and I think like women's safety and the safety of like marginalized genders and like underrepresented people is a concern. And it's a concern that I wouldn't have if I was working in another industry. Yeah. Um, I've started a company that's, specifically looking at diversity and i worry that that will place a certain amount of um a target on my back as being someone who's saying yeah like i'd really like some games to be made in a way that like i would like to play them that sounds that sounds a remarkably uncontroversial thing to say yeah but, you know it's it's market forces if there's a demand then at some point there'll be supply um, I don't know why. I mean, I'm not saying you're. Please don't no, think I'm saying you're wrong. No. I'm saying it, it just baffles me yeah. that people could be threatened by that uh, and find that you, you know, if you can't find it, you make it yourself. Um, yeah. This seems but a pretty it, logical it way of, to go about things. It, yeah, but it's pervasive in so many different things. But I think it's just um, for a long time, like I didn't really like speaking out about particular games topics in a public way. Um, because I was scared about the way that people would react to it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I, you know, you mentioned Gamergate. That was whilst I was at uni, so I think it was it was around twenty fourteen, and you know, people's families were harassed. There was all sorts of like threats against people's like physical safety and the the other people in their lives. People lost their jobs. Like, it's not. Um, I think sometimes people think because it's like video games, it's not. There's maybe it's maybe not as serious, but it is a real yeah concern and. Yeah, it's it's quite hard sometimes if you're having a conversation with someone and you say, oh, well, no, I didn't do that because, you know. Um, I guess, like, a an example I could give is I was at a tech conference um, in East Anglia and one of the guests, the keynote speakers, was talking about the benefits that he got from hitchhiking. Right. It's not really rec- replicable. No. But no one really, like... When I said that, like, in conversation with someone, they also were a bit like, I don't see your point. And it's that whole thing where... How could they, they just... Okay, sorry, just, I, I saw your point immediately. Yeah, well, it's, it's That just, doesn't make me better. I just think... But there was just a part of me that when I was seeing the talk, I was like, I get where this person is coming from and, like, I respect their experiences and what they're trying to share, but the fact that they weren't acknowledging that it wasn't... Because they kept being like really encouraging and like, and you can do this too, and you should have these experiences, and like I got so much from it, and it, it just, I just felt really sad because I was like, yeah, but I... all that enthusiasm kind of not really very well directed. Yeah, just, just I think that's like a big difference is like you know, is have knowing what you don't know, and it's like you can't make these massive generalizations about particular things and be like, yeah, everyone should just do it, because it's like not everyone is in a position to feel safe while they're doing that or whichever. Just the one on about uh, thinking about uh, LGBTQ plus um, characters in games, Hmm. just to sort of switch it around in a different angle. Um, The struggle for uh, female representation, both in and out, uh, behind the scenes and in in the actual games itself, uh, proper representation is ongoing and extremely hard fought and, and I think we've sort of covered how it's it's the pro- progress is sort of, to call it incremental is, yeah. is is nowhere near accurate. But in terms of LGBTQ, I have seen games that have those characters, but they are either again hypersexualized, you know, for the male gaze, or they are played for laughs mm. um, for heterosexual men mainly. Um, how are we going to do anything so, in that? I guess to try and like bring this back to a more positive outlook. Good. Uh, I think one of the the things that makes me really excited is access to making games and particularly being able to express yourself through video games is much, much more um, accessible. So the cost of... Um, making a game, depending on how you want to make it, uh, Unreal Engine and Unity, which are games engines, mm-hmm. which is the software that you use to build a game, both of them are on free models. So you can pay for like particular features yep. or um, Epic, I think, with Unreal Engine, they take a cut if you actually sell something commercially. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like being able to use these tools, it's just so much easier um, even than when I was... Um, kind of just out of uni a lot of games and just you still had to pay for mm-hmm. um, the software um, blender which is a 3d modeling software completely free open source um, and 
so many people are kind of releasing software or tools for free to allow people to make these things. And I think that is um, one of the more um, like positive, motivating things to think about is that the more people that have access to the tools, the more people that will be able to represent themselves in games and see themselves in games. Um, there are some particular funding um, avenues for underrepresented founders. So if you're making a game that's covering particular issues, um, there's the Wings Fund, um, which is global, and they're specifically looking to make games which are, um, yeah, covering topics like queer topics or are made games, excuse me, that are made um, by queer community um yeah so i think it's that it's another example of where you really need people involved in the creation process for there to be true representation um yeah because how would you up like until this point yeah it's been great no i mean how would you like to see i'm gonna start uh, how would you like to see uh the norwich the east anglian gamer community develop game game uh, creation community develop yeah so um kind of as i touched on beforehand like i would really love to see um funding opportunities in this region for games companies there's there's some kind of talk of creative tech creative digital businesses but i still think there's a bit of a blind spot when it comes to games um I'm sure you know this, but some listeners may not know that the UK games industry is larger than the UK film, television and music industries combined. Mm -hmm. And yet it's not being really focused on in a proper sector way by local authorities to think, OK, well, here's this industry which has survived the impacts of the pandemic and is continuing to grow exponentially in the UK and is attracting international creative talent. We're just not going to consider it for opportunities because we don't have in-house expertise. It's like we can't keep kind it's, of falling on that. <laughs> we like, need to. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I did a, a panel on. Um, and I'm not saying that there won't be any in future. No, no. And I've um, had some really good conversations recently. But in terms Good. of like where I want to see it going, I'd, no, that, I'd just, really love that. The trip is what my sort of background is. You, 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 you don't come across a problem you don't want to try and solve. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to Tim Robinson of Tech East in a few weeks, and that's definitely uh, a message I'll take to him. But <laughs> it's, it's almost, Oh, no, I feel bad now no, that Tim's no. going to get roasted on uh, it. No, I don't. I, don't, I, don't I think do, he's quite I, supportive I do, of Oh, games. no, Tim would be. I know yeah. Tim would be. Uh, I don't do roastings. Um, I don't have it in me. I'm not. I'm, uh, but um, not Jeremy Paxman. No, no, no. I'm, I, I, I wouldn't even. It wouldn't even count as Mrs. Merton. I don't think. There's a there's a dated reference. More like Alan Partridge, maybe. But um, that'd be local, yeah. Yeah, it would be. Um, it, it feels like I, I did a screen uh, thing, and I, I actually said to the to the the guys there, well, "What about you know the the video game sector? You're getting much." You know, for studio space, screen screen, mocap, motion capture um, technology. Uh, oh, no, oh, well, maybe we should look at that. And it feels to me like with the screen sector, TV, uh, film, they know what that is because they've watched telly and seen a, have seen a film mm -hmm. and they think they know and they've got a good handle on it and they know what it's all involved. But there's a bit more mystique about 
from you know the average person in the street who, who yes they probably sit at a computer all day but how it works is something for you know the IT yeah and I think I've, I've had conversations with people where they tell me that they they don't play video games and then I ask them if they play solitaire and they say oh yeah every day it's like, well, then you, then you play video games. And I'm but reporting it, you to HR. You know, yes. it's a bit, yeah. But it's, it's one of those things where, like, you know, there's still such a barrier to people um, realising that they are just as much engaging with the games industry as they are with TV and film. Mm. Um, it's just maybe in less of a kind of straightforward way. But, yeah, it's, it is... Um, I think things are shifting. Things are getting much better. Um, but I was lucky enough to um, the forum approach Norfolk Game Developers in 2014, actually, um, to have a bit of an input on their games festival. Oh, yeah. Um, so for the first two years of that, um, I was working with them to bring like local developers um, and then they took it on in-house and they, they run it themselves now completely. Oh, brilliant. But, you know, that was... Um, What's that? Eight years ago? Yeah, about that. Um, and at the time, I remember thinking, like, oh, maybe if we can get this festival up and running, like, maybe that will be the thing that convinces people locally that this can be a really thriving industry. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really only now starting to see shifts where some game developers have like moved to the region and are running their businesses here, co-working spaces, um, are kind of like open and interested in games and. Yo, I feel like we've got all of the ingredients. Just, They're all there. We just need someone either joining it up or like a bit more support from, um, yeah, from the kind of, yeah, even like visit Norwich as a thing. Yeah. Like, is there a way that we can incorporate, you know, creative technology or games into that? Like it. so often people think that these things are at either end of a spectrum and they're really not. Like games aren't this kind of... Anti-social, hyper-violent, hyper-sexualized activities. Yeah, people do put that that kind of mental distinction, don't they, between mobile? I've had games people have moral and... arguments with me about me being involved with video games. Like people think that it's amoral for me to be working in the games industry. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's it's like it, um, it's the, the tape count. The, the recording like can't a... get my very sort of. Critical <laughs> expression, as if to say, it's not a visual medium. With, with the, but yeah. No, it's not really. With the, with the vast range of games, you can go from you know being a firefighter or yeah. you know, or like an Animal chef. Crossing, where yeah. you play as an adorable tiny animal that lives on an island. You know, yeah. it's that, but but that doesn't get through um, the kind of the mainstream reporting or the general news that's reported on in games. Usually, it's sensationalist, you know, content about something, and it's. Not to say that games don't have their own challenges and issues. We've literally been talking yes. about them for <laughs> this for entire hour, yeah. episode. But it's it it's just yeah, it it's really um I guess it's a hearts and minds exercise as much as it is yeah. um like a funding, you know, infrastructure. So I mean I, I interviewed quite early in the podcast Asa Burrows from SKC Games oh, in Haverhill. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully going back to talk to him some more in the future. Um He's got I, he, some very exciting plans. He has, hasn't he? And he came to uh, I, when I I did some I worked with the LEP um in at the Conservative Party's conference last year, the one that was actually successful. Um No comment. <laughs> and and um he, but Asa came and did a, a talk 
that was so heartfelt and so wonderful and put all his artwork and his pull-ups all around the room and that was just brilliant it was and that was the bit that the the media actually latched onto and it was it was kind of like in Haverhill what a surprise and that was it was both sort of uplifting that he got the attention and sad that the, the it was like why yeah, not Haverhill kind of look at why this not oddity and it's like yeah. well no because exactly like why not Haverhill because when I spoke to Asa you know he was saying like it's it's fairly close to Cambridge it's got really good links the internet's great the building's fantastic that he's in at the epicenter, uh, epicenter isn't it yes and um yeah, and I think I think that's the big thing is like I'm saying, you know, we've got all the ingredients. We just need someone to kind of acknowledge that digital creative games businesses can be in Norfolk. Like people still come Sorry, up to I'm, me I'm, at events and I'm say I'm sitting there wondering <laughs> what kind of event could we put on where we bring things people like the county councils, because they're about to get a lot more uh, in Norfolk and Suffolk certainly, uh, a lot more uh, you know, uh, power and responsibility and, and hopefully funding. And you've got, you know, uh, you've got Cambridge and the Cambridge. There's lots of people in Cambridge who are, are interested in being in this space. Uh, you've got huge tech companies moving in like Roku. Um, and they're, you know, starting to produce their, their own product, you know, their own movies. Strange times. And how we can best bring them all together and i'm not saying that this sounds like a job for eastern promise because i'm, I'm like <laughs> i'm actually really conscious of what you said earlier in that just bloody i'll focus on the day-to-day -day and don't you know don't get distracted <laughs> with flights of fancy but maybe that's something that i think that's know, the problem when you're passionate isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. So easily be so like, is. oh, but I want to do this. And, and I was like... just thinking about my friend, my friend Susie, uh, Sue Simmons, at, at B, who's now at BT, thinking, this sounds like a job for Sue. Sue would love this, not just because she's, <laughs> but cause she's really good at this kind of job. Mm. And um, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll see. I'll have some conversations and, and maybe come back to you, and we'll see what we can do. And it'd be yeah, led by you, and not a, say, as I've said repeatedly, a middle. <laughs> white man trying to tell women what he thinks is good for them or yeah. gamers or, or the gaming community what he thinks is good for them because uh, you know uh, yeah well I, th I guess I don't I don't know if I should say this in the, the content of the episode but like I was having spoken to you I was really impressed the way that you approach video games because I've spoken to people in the past and a lot of people that don't have a knowledge of the industry or like have worked in it they're again when they want to do an interview with you, it, it could be very like, it could be a case of like, why are teenage boys addicted to Minecraft? And it's well, like, not. it's just this, you know, it, there's, um, you so often it's... you'll have people that wouldn't, they well, either like wouldn't take it seriously or like they wouldn't um, be interested in a way that's kind of like genuine. They'd just be like, cool, let's just yeah. tick some boxes. And it's, I mean, yeah. I love, I love playing video games. I, I've, I, I, I've got a sort of a big collection of sort of older titles. And I don't have enough time, as much time to play as like. But I've just been playing uh, Marvel's Avengers for the first time, which is uh, my my aging gaming PC has just got enough of to run <laughs> it. And you sort of watch it, and you think, yes, you sort of flick between heroes of different genders and different plot lines. And uh, I mean, I, from my point of view, it seems very balanced. I, I don't know that people who are, you might think differently, but you're still aware <laughs> of the the kind of Yes, it's the you know the the, the skin tight lycra problem, and the, you know, would that oh, be an God, issue? Yeah. And did you see the uh, fan art that people made swapping round the characters and their poses? Yes, yes. Yeah. So there's a video oh, games version of that actually, which was run by um, some of the people <clears throat> that were involved with Women in Games France, 
um, they they made this campaign and they swapped the animation rigs of male and female characters in video games. And one of the ones that they did was Batman and Catwoman. Uh-huh. And it's ridiculous. Looking at Batman, like, purring and, like, Physical just touching his body it's and being like... weird. is It's bizarre. And I used it in a lesson because I didn't actually have to say anything. That alone said enough to be like... That, like this is why we need, yeah. I mean, I thought, we need we like, do... more people involved because no sane person would act like Catwoman is acting in that scene but it doesn't seem ridiculous until you put that animation rig onto Batman Yeah, and then suddenly it becomes ridiculous and it's like okay well what's that to, you know what we'll, let's analyse that and you know yeah. are those alright because yeah. you've got at least you know someone who's Standing in the sort of cutscenes while you're waiting, as you sort of you've got Black Widow unloading and unloading pistols and sort of making sure everything is you know, all the weapons are concealed properly, but it, it doesn't seem that you know that hypersexualized to me. But I don't know. But you know, play you play the modern version of Lara Croft. Though. Yeah, it's it such a minefield because like there's games that I love. So like I love Mass Effect as a series. Mass Effect Two, there is like a running meme of the fact that the camera is always basically focusing on her behind. <laughs> Like, even when they're having conversations, which yeah. normally it would be, like, head and shoulders to head and shoulders kind of mm-hmm. camera shots, hers are just always, like, that. if they're focusing on someone else, it'll just be like, well, let's just look at the back of you whilst that person's speaking. Right. But I love that game. You know, it's like there's no... It's just kind of everywhere, and you kind of... You find yourself having to try and navigate it, but it's... Yeah. It's, perhaps it's a minefield. Perhaps that's why the Lego games are so successful. You just you're basically always playing as a as a little plastic figure, whatever you're doing, however yeah. it's constructed. Um, yeah, but... Lego games do um, split screen really well. I, my wife and I used to try and play split screen, and it just got so annoying. It triggered so many of us. Would you come on? I'm waiting to go in there. I come. Uh, <laughs> Hurry yeah. up. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it, it's a it's it's always a bit rough. But I'll tell you a really good co-op game to try. What's that? Uh, it's called. Um, oh no, I've just forgotten. That's annoying. Um, it takes two. Okay, I'll look it up. I got. It's I, one got of the, the best games that I've played, uh, and you can tell it's my, made by people that just love what they're doing because um, it's the story of husband and wife. They're having marital challenges. That's not really a spoiler because it's right at the beginning of the game. And then through the process of the game, um, they are transformed into these toys and they have to try and work their way back to kind of being real real again. But in order to do that, they have to complete these challenges. But it's, it's fantastic because each character has their own abilities and you have to combine those abilities to solve problems, similar like you do in um, Lego. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, with this, it's very much a case of it's a it is a two player game, predominantly. I think you can play it single player and swap between them, but there's some stuff which just doesn't quite work as well. Yeah. But um, it's a beautifully made game, and I really recommend it for co op, because um, it it because it is a game about like marital therapy, I guess, like <laughs> couples therapy. It also gets you to have to work together. And like when you were saying that you were snapping about like her not doing something quickly enough, it made me remember when I was playing with my husband. And we were both <laughs> like, yeah, those moments where like he was very calm and I was like, oh, I kept dying and vice versa. And my, so. my, my daughter started playing. She, she's she's too young to play it, but she saw it on YouTube and now she's she wanted to play. So all right, then. Two Point Hospital. Oh, gosh. See, Two Point Hospital is based on 
one of the games that got me into video games, which is Theme Hospital. Mm-hmm. Did you ever play that? Uh, I no, I played Theme Park. Okay, like so the original Theme Hospital. That old. It's just like Two Point Hospital has the same sense of humour, and it is it's like a kind of spiritual successor type thing. And Theme Hospital is where you have to run a hospital. And all of the um, ailments are just ridiculous. Ridiculous, yeah. And like one I remember as a kid was bloaty head syndrome, where all the people would come in and they'd have massive bloated heads, and the doctor would just be pricking their heads to. I know, two point hospital has Freddie <laughs> yeah, Mercury and like, syndrome, and, and yeah, they're all turning yeah. into Freddie Mercury. Yeah, instead of Elvis, which is the international. Yeah, and, so uh, it's like, but yeah. it's the, the voiceovers in the hospital. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my husband's played it quite a lot. I haven't had a chance to like play that much of it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's the, yeah. Same the, one is the, the university one's quite good as yes, well. Yes, because that, 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 this is a bit, I'll cut this bit out, but Two Point <laughs> Hospital got taken down off the Game Pass. So my daughter had to go for two, two, um, oh, campus. Two Point Campus, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, which is just as funny, you know. You're, <laughs> the voiceover's yes, great, to... like, the, you know, like, term is finished. Yes, so we'd that... like to remind students, you did come here deliberately. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, will not be receiving a refund. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that was, yeah some definite kind of uh, undertones. So, last question. Um, and it's I, I do sometimes try and do a bit of a left field uh, one. Um, one platform, if, if you can only choose one platform and one game for your Desert Island, your Desert Island games, one platform, we'll work out how you can power it. We'll have solar panels or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one game, what would they be? Probably, it would probably have to be Fallout 4. Because that's the game that I've spent weeks worth of hours playing. Um, I I'm a huge Fallout fan. Um, I love the world that they've constructed. I love the sense of humour and the environmental storytelling in it. So like the world telling you a story of what's happened is just it's just fantastic. And I just I just like wandering around. Um, and considering the amount of hours that I've played it. I'm still finding things that I hadn't realised before, little environments or um, just even uh, for a while I was kind of doing this thing where like I would take screenshots every time I saw something that I knew the developers had set up deliberately. So like there's some, there was something where they had like a teddy bear with a knife sitting in a toilet with like a light above it. And it was there was literally no point to it. It was just in one of the toilet stalls, like mm-hmm. in a building. But like it was that thing where I was like, I know that someone like did that because it, it was a Thursday. They were, like, they were they were the teddy bears are like a thing in Fallout Four. Like you'll find them in all sorts of environments. Like there's one where you can see it. Like it's about to do like surgery on another bear. Like it's but it's it's that whole. I love that element to it. And like as much as it's a post-apocalyptic game so maybe it's not the most uplifting thing to play if i'm on a desert <laughs> island like there's a part of me that just it could be that. worse i'm on a nice desert island and it's at least yeah. it's not an apocalypse true so true. would that be on a pc but or xbox xbox yeah, you yeah. Do those things. right robin milton thank you very much i wish you every success and if, if eastern you. promise can help we shall i shall do all we can i feel like we're gonna have big plans now I do say this an awful lot, but it truly was a huge pleasure to chat with Robin. And more than that, there was a lot more to say about the sector and the industry, not least the recent announcement on the Create Growth Fund. 
I'm looking forward to bringing industry voices from across the region around a table soon, and I'll be recording that and sharing it with you. Meanwhile, if you want to hear more from Robin, then she'll be talking on this subject as part of the Norwich Science Festival on Thursday the 16th of February 2023 at the Forum in Norwich from 5pm to 6pm. The event is free, but you will need to book your place by going to bipcnorfolk.eventbrite.com. You can also visit the website at fairer.games. <laughs>